Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Hi, it's good to be here, and uh, as, uh, as Troy said, I've got one more week to go. This is the last message and uh, the last sermon here with you. And um, one more week to go. I'll be back next week. I want to champion Troy along in that handing on the baton and encourage you to be, be here on the 17th. To That's a big deal for the church to uh, have a new lead pastor in the life of the church. To so be here on the 17th, support, pray, encourage, and uh, even in the meantime, pray and encourage Troy in that whole process. I'll be here next week to uh, hand that baton on. We might even have a physical baton. I might even run around the church. Would that be good? Just slowly, I'm not going to go fast. But Hey, what do you say to people in a final message? Um, I've been puzzling about that all week. This is not part of a series or we've finished all that and you've got one message to go. And What is it you want to say to a group of people who you have come to appreciate and love over the last eight months and you know this is your last opportunity, apart from maybe visiting from time to time um, or maybe not, um, as you choose, but... but uh, what do you say in the last uh, message to people? And I wanted to talk a little bit about today. I've thrown this around all, all week, so. <laughs> that is the shortest I've ever preached, and it was. Uh, and you're all going, hallelujah, you've sung, you've sung that. Hey, what, one of the things that really passionate, I'm, I'm gonna, I wanted to speak on my prayer for you. My prayer for you as a church, every one of us, including myself, is that we would flourish. In our Christian faith, in our Christian life, sometimes it's very easy to languish and not so easy to flourish. And my prayer for you was that you would flourish. And one of the get, great things you get to do in your last message is, is you can pick, sort of cherry pick some of the things you might have said over the last few months and put them together. And some of those you'll hear and some of those will be new and just to help you flourish. And, and I've only got three thoughts today, which is more than most days, but I've got three thoughts today to help you flourish as that it helps me flourish. So I want to share. But I want to start um, by showing you a... a uh, a couple of images, which some of you have seen before, I know this, but I have a fascination with doors. It started about 15 years ago when I visited uh, Guatemala and I was in a little, ta- little town called Antigua in Guatemala where we stayed in a, in a monastery that had been converted into accommodation and in this, these rows of streets there were amazing doors to houses, amazing doors, colourful, different, and I kept thinking, I wonder what's behind those doors. So I've got a couple of doors up here for you. You've maybe seen this first from you. This first door is the door to the Guatemala Compassion. I used to work with Compassion. The Guatemala Compassion office. You walk up three flights of stairs in this building, no lifts, and you come to this door. This is the door to the office. And you hit this door and it sort of hits you. You think that's an office door. It's cold. It's uninviting. It's unwelcoming. It's you know, pushes you away a little bit when you see it because it's, it's just pure steel. And on the side there, get a close-up of that in the next slide, just show you've got fingerprint recognition to get in that door. 
I said to my colleague, why have you got fingerprint recognition? He said, well, because we have, um, we have cash inside. It's a drug culture and a gang culture and people know that and they will just cut my finger off and use it on the door. And inside there, there's another little um, room, a little chamber about this size with another door like that. Exactly the same with no fingerprint recognition. This time it's visual recognition because somebody could just, he said, someone could just take my finger and use it on the door. We have to have two, two, uh, two doors. But behind that door is, is real value. It's a beautiful office, but those two doors are unwelcoming. They're un- uninviting. Another door I took a photo of some time later was uh, this door here. It's in... Los Angeles is at a place called the Original um, Pantry. The Original Pantry in Los Angeles, on the corner of two streets in Los Angeles, and it's a door that, when you come close, the next photo was a close-up of the door. There is uh, there is no lock on that door. That place started in uh, 1924, almost 100 years ago. Never been locked once in that nearly 100 years. It's open all the time. And in the morning, I took that photo in the afternoon, but in the morning, there were people lined up for hundreds of metres around the block to get in, people in high-vis vests, people in suits, business people, there are homeless people, there are people and tourist people just waiting to get in. It's a real hubbub and a buzz, and behind that door is a throng of joy and fun and pleasure and delight. And my question for you today is, if you were to look behind the door of your life, how would you want it to end up? Would you want it to be cold and uninviting and, 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 and when you get through one layer, there's still another layer to go? Or do you want a life that's open and inviting and winsome? And much of that will have to do with how you see God, whether you see God as a big steel door who's hard to get to and has got layers to get to, or whether you see God as open and inviting and welcoming and winsome and flourishing, and helping you flourish. So I want to talk about that today and say, how, how can I help just give some thoughts that may be helpful to you about how do you um, flourish in your faith? How do you flourish in faith? And if you're here with not yet come to a place in, of faith in Jesus, how do, you, how do you discover that? How do you find that flourishing? So three thoughts today, three foundational thoughts. The first one is this. Settle who you are and what you have. Settle who you are and what you have. You need to know that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the resources of God with you. That your God sees you not in some sort of you have to earn something. God has seen you by his grace. You have come to faith in Jesus and received his grace. You haven't earned Your value is not determined by your title or by your giftedness or by your intelligence or any of those things that we often measure people by. Your your value to God is not measured by any of that. If you're a follower of Jesus, your value of God is resting in his love, in his grace. And we need to understand that because to know that you're a recipient of God's grace stops you having to earn things that Duty is not the ultimate thing. Performance is not the ultimate thing. Performance is not primary. The other thing you need to know by that is that failure is not fatal. 
in God's love. Not at all. I want to read to you from Paul writes to the Ephesian church and he talks about this thing called grace. And uh, it's, it's an extraordinary quality that's sometimes hard to define. But here's what he says, Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Sometimes we think the good works will get us to God. No, it doesn't happen that way. When you come to understand God's grace and your value to God and how you are, your value and your certainty is in his love and your security is there, then you get to do stuff. You don't have to do stuff. You get to do good works. It comes in that order, not the other order. You don't earn your salvation with God. It's not about performance or productivity. It's not about any of that. It's about the fact that if you have chosen to follow Jesus, you are secure. Amen. Good. You are secure. You are secure in his love. That's where your security comes from. Scripture says you are God's handiwork or some scriptures say masterpiece. The literal word is, is a Greek word called poemia. It's the word we get our po- the word poem from. You're God's poem. God has rhymed you. You're his verse. You're his creation. That's where your security lies. And if you ever try to get it some other way by performance or by approval or by people feeling you're, you're thinking you're terrific and patting you on the back, if you ever think that's the way to get God's love, forget it. It's not about that. It's about being secure. And not only who you are, but what you have. I want to read to you a passage of Scripture from before that, from Ephesians, um, Ephesians chapter 1, the first chapter. But before, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. Nothing. Paul says it very clearly. There's nothing that can separate you from God's love. Let me read to you. It's not on the screen, but read to you from uh, chapter 8. I'm persuaded, says Paul, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able (coughs) to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you. (coughs) And can I say this, and I say this cautiously, Your sin cannot separate you from the love of God, from his side. From your side, yes. But he doesn't love you any less because you muck up life. From your side, don't. From your side, what you get is shame and guilt and humiliation and embarrassment and all of that. So your side separates you from God, but not from God's side. He doesn't fall, you don't fall out of his love. Nothing. Nothing is zero. Zero will separate you from the love of God from his side. You need to understand. Made from your side, but not from his. Nothing. But then in Ephesians chapter 1, it tells you not just who, who you are, but 
what God has given you, how you are. Let me read to you from Ephesians 1, starting at verse 3, and it's a little bit longer passage. But praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we're also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be the prey for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What do you have? Paul spells it out very clearly. Here's what he says. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. So you've got to ask the question, if I have every spiritual blessing in Christ, what spiritual blessing do I not have? You have every spiritual blessing. God has given you that. You'll see he's come up on the screen. He says you have been chosen before the creation of the world. From the beginning of time, God had you in his mind. Before he created the land upon which this campus sits, he had you in his mind. That's what he had. He had you in his mind. The third thing it says, and I think they'll, they'll come up on a screen, I think, Dave. Um, you have been redeemed through his blood. You've been redeemed through the blood of Christ. You have been redeemed in that way. We went our own way, we've gone our own path, we've done our own thing, but God paid a price to bring us back onto a path that's a right path. You've been redeemed by his blood. Sorry, I keep asking today, but I, I might not have put them on the slide. Did I, put them on? Did I not put them there? Yeah, there we are. You've been redeemed through his blood. He has shown us the mystery of his will because his spirit dwells within us. God's Spirit speaks to us all the time because He's within us. It's just that we don't hear it all the time. We get surprised when we do. I think God said, well, God's always talking to you. He's there. He's within you. You get to know the mystery of His will. And sometimes if we just took time out to listen and to be not so busy and not, not so active and not so this, we would hear it. And finally, says, you've been given the guarantee of His Spirit, Spirit dwelling in your life. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He lives within you as a deposit of what's to come, as a guarantee of what's to come. That's what you have. That's who you are. You're living in the love of God. You cannot be separated from his love, not from his side. From yours, you might have to be. That's why you need to repent, not because God needs you to repent, because you need to repent. You need to give a clean slate. That's the deal. And this is what you have. You have all those things. You've got every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have been redeemed. You've been chosen before the creation of the world. You've been 
access to the mystery of his will and you've been given seal with his Holy Spirit. That's who you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, that is you. You haven't earned that. You haven't merited that. You can't buy that. You can't tweak it some way. That is for you as a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, that's what's your inheritance. That's for you. You need to know who you are and what you have to flourish. That would be my first thought and the first aspect of prayer for you today. Second thought is this. Make, I'm going to explain this to you, make double love the foundation of your thoughts and actions. Make double love the foundation of your thoughts and actions. Let me explain that to you. When Jesus was resurrected, he appeared a number of times. One of those times was to the couple of people on the Emmaus Road. And they were puzzled and they didn't recognise initially who he was until he broke bread in their home and then they realised who he was. But before that, he's on the road with them and they're sad and they're dismayed and they're upset and he's trying to explain to them who he is. And in that conversation, he says this, Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that that they might comprehend the scriptures. So Jesus came as a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. That's what he came for. So Jesus came, if you, just as an illustration, if you took a Bible and broke it there. Jesus came to fulfill all that bit. All the law, all the prophets came to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's the truth. That's how that works. Fulfilled the law and the prophets. Then one day he's talking to people. And they ask him because they're still steeped in the law and the prophets. They're so steeped in law. They're so steeped in the prophets. They're so steeped in the history. They get to the question, well, of all those laws and of all those things that we've learned in our history over hundreds of years, what's the most important? What's the most important commandment? And Jesus says this in Matthew 22. We read these words. Teacher... What is the greatest commandment? No, they say, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled and were written in the law of Moses and the prophets. That's when he, sorry, that's when he opened it to the Ephesian church. And he says this in Matthew. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And the way that happens is through love, double love. Love the Lord your God and love each other. That's the key, double love. So there's no greater commandment than that. So these are the greatest two commandments there is. And they fulfill the law and the prophets. All that goes before is fulfilled if you love God and love one another. It's the greatest kind. There's no commandment greater than that. You think of any other commandment that you know, nothing greater than that. Dare I say it, but even the command that Jesus said at the end of his life, 
go into all the world and make the soul what we call the Great Commission. If there's nothing greater than that one, even that's not greater than that. That has to come out of love. That's not a job in itself. It's an expression of the love of God in you. To see disciples come and grow. Sometimes we treat that like that's a thing, like a notch on a belt. No, 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 that comes out of love because that's the greatest one. These are the greatest two. The double love commandments are the greatest two. And I would say to you, we need to live those double love commandments in our life. So when it comes to loving God, develop in your life rhythms that will help you love God. Rhythms that will really help you. They're rhythms of prayer. They're rhythms that allow you to communicate with God and God to communicate with you. That's what prayer is. They're rhythms of Scripture. How best do you learn and grow in the Scripture, the truth of God's Word? How do you, how do, you do that? Develop rhythms. Solitude, silence, worship, celebration. Develop rhythms in life that will help you grow in your love for God and develop rhythms that help you love one another. And there are rhythms that help you love one another. That's really important that we understand that. There's nothing greater than those two things. Nothing greater. Love is the only thing that will ever remain with hope and, and love. Love, hope and faith, hope and love. The greatest of those is love. It's important that we understand that. We, it means you put rhythms in your life to help both loves. Second one, things like kindness, things like goodness, things like forgiveness, things like unoffendability, those sort of things that you put in your life. I said I'd show you some images you've seen before, and this is one of them. This is three guys I met in Cambodia. I think I've told you the story of this before. But uh, three young men, not so much young anymore, but three men I met, they're younger than me, so they must be young, and uh, I met in Cambodia. I had, had uh, um, dinner with these three guys. It's on, it's on a slide there, I think, Dave. No? Not there? Apologies. Three guys I met in Cambodia. They, uh, you know the history of Cambodia, if you don't, it's near, early, middle to late um, 70s, there was a thing in Cambodia called the Killing Fields where discovered were mass graves of a million people who were slaughtered and buried by a regime, a brutal regime uh, called the Khmer Rouge and um, their brutal leader called Pol Pot. And I met three guys, I thought I'd put them in the slide, I must have left them out, but who, who, uh, who in that time were in three different camps. They, one was a commander of, a commander in um, Pol Pot's army. His job was to strategize the killing of what was called the elites. And the elites were people who were educated, pastors, teachers, doctors, lawyers, all those people who were educated were killed because they were a threat to the regime. 1.7 million altogether, a million in the killing fields. That was his job. And there was another guy who was in the Cambodian army because he hated what Pol Pot was doing and he, he joined the Cambodian army to fight against that. So they were bitter enemies. There was a third guy who was a, uh, there they are, third guy who was um, uh, a rebel army leader who fought against both sides to protect his region. Hated each other. All of them come to faith in Jesus. Came to say, yeah, we, we're going to follow Jesus. We, he's, he's going to be the Lord of our life. And now they all lead different ministries in that same region. 
where they hated each other, arm in arm, in forgiveness. And I remember coming back from that trip thinking to myself, sometimes in the West, sometimes in our world, we get offended easily. We get offended by things that are not about that. And we just hold it close. We hold it deep. And we hold it in here. And I think back to my three new friends, if you like, who were able to forgive and move on. They developed a double love. They didn't just love Jesus. They loved in the most difficult of circumstances. They loved deeply. They loved powerfully. Jesus said this when someone asked him in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And listen to this. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples. Why? If you love one another. People don't know you're disciples because you're brilliant. People don't know you're a disciple of Jesus because, you know, you're intelligent, you're very gifted. People won't know this church because of those things. They won't even know this church because of your doctrine or theology. They'll know you because of your love. That's all. That's all. And when you grasp that, when you grasp this double love thinking and double love acting, it will change the way you operate. Change the way we operate. It just changes that. And it will mean you need a... Have to develop... Uh, we all have to develop this kind of um, culture, if you like, and I think this is true for the church in general, not singling out this church out. Church in general will need to develop what I think is a very tough culture and a very tough tension between full acceptance and no compromise. In other words, if we love this kind of way, there'll be people who walk in the doors of this church, and maybe they are already, people who walk in the doors of this church because of what the love they see, they have a hunger and a, and a, and a need and an emptiness that causes them to follow that love, but they will live values in their lifestyle, their living values that are so far from the kingdom. And the challenge for the church is, how do I fully accept that pe those people and not compromise my faith. That's a challenge that I hope is a challenge of every church forever and a day. Because that's, that's the challenge of our life. How do I fully love, how do I fully accept someone but not compromise my belief or my stance or my morals? That's the question that's a challenge for us. That's really hard to do. It's not a problem to be solved, by the way. It's a tension to be managed. You have to manage that tension forever. So we should. Because if we're showing double love in our life, then people will be attracted by that to the brokenness in their own. But they'll walk through those doors or come to meet you or come to a, you know, a, a group or whatever. They'll come that way with values and lifestyle that are so different and so distant from the kingdom. How do you fully accept, as Paul says, fully accept one another as God in Christ accepted you. How did God accept me fully? But at the same time, I don't compromise my faith. How do we do that? When I was a little, when I was a, a, not a youth pastor, a student pastor in a church on the Port Phillip Bay in, 
in, uh, in Victoria, a place called Hampton. We had a young girl, a little small church, and we had a little young girl in a youth group called Jenny, and she was 19 years of age. She was coming to a youth group regularly. One day she gave her life to Christ. It was a very exciting time, as a celebration. And Jenny and her family came from, if you like, the other side of the tracks, had a very tough upbringing and divorce in the family, and it was really hard, and, and you know, you felt for them. And she just came to realize that she'd come to follow Jesus. It's a violent situation at home. And she went home and told her mum who she lived with, and after a little while, her mum gave her life to Christ. Her name was Cecily. She came along to church. She came. She, was, she, she couldn't get enough. She was filled up just with God, and she came along to our morning service. She came along to our evening service. I had about eight people in the evening service. She swelled it to nine at night. We had a Bible study. She would come to Bible study. I led that Bible study. I remember she, she, she came in. One night in that Bible study, after about two or three weeks, we were reading the Bible around in a circle, you know, bits and pieces. She read a bit of the Bible. She's reading her Bible, and she looked up. It's a Bible study with people who have been going to church for a long, long time. She looked up and said, isn't this bleep, bleep, bleep fantastic? In a vernacular that I hadn't heard in that Bible study before. Very colourful. And nobody said anything to her. But she got the impression really quickly that was not acceptable. Which was translated to you're not acceptable. So after a little while, people were, when she came to church, and people were respectable but standoffish. And after a while, she stopped coming to church. She stopped coming to the Bible study. Stopped coming to church. And I remember after she'd stopped coming to the evening service and the morning service, just going to visit her. She hadn't been for a few weeks and realised what had happened. That This young lady, who had grown more in three months than most people in that Bible study had grown in three years, felt uneasy because she felt unwelcome and unaccepted. And we were so concerned about preserving our position or preserving our um, beliefs, which didn't need to change, but we couldn't accept her. And if we have this double love stuff happening in our, in our lives, we're loving God with everything and we're loving each other with everything, then that tension of fully accepting people and not compromising your belief will be with us forever. That's the legacy of living a double love kind of life. The greatest commandment that the law and the prophets hang on. That's really important that we do that. By your love will people know you're a follower of Jesus. Nothing else by your love. That's how you flourish. I wish I lived that every day. I don't. I wish I did. I didn't welcome Cecily well. She shocked me and I took a step back, trying to be nice. I was cordial to her, but I took a, didn't really want to know her world. It was a horrific world. She'd grown heaps in a couple of months. And uh, that can cause you to languish in your faith. Third thing I want to say is this, and it's, the last one of these three. 
to flourish, you need to live out the adventure of faith. Faith is an adventure. It needs to be an adventure. It's not just a state of mind. It's not just a respectability. It's not just a nice way to live. It's not just a good you know, framework of thinking and faith. It's an adventure. God has called us to an adventure to take steps of faith in life. He's called us to do that. And the, cho- the choices we have are to make life predictable, to make life nice, to make life comfortable, to make life like that. But God calls us to live an adventure in life. My experience personally is, uh, and I'll share this with you, is that there, I think there are three zones in, my, in, in our faith journey. There's what I would call the faith zone. And the faith zone is the place where we are stretched in our faith beyond maybe what we've ever done before or how comfortable we are. That's the faith zone. God is calling us to new things and to new steps and to new places. Then I found personally in my own Christian walk, there is a comfort zone. And the comfort zone is where I don't want to be stretched. I'm just really comfortable where I am. Don't bother me. I've really worked out the, the boundaries and, the, and the, the kind of where faith fits for me. I've worked out what it's like and it should be like that. For, it's like that for me and it should be like that for everyone else and I'm not going to be. That's my comfort zone. I've been there many times. I wish I hadn't. I wish other people were like me in faith, but they're not. And I find if I'm in the comfort zone for too long without a stretch, then I actually fall back further into a coasting zone. I just coast along in my faith. I don't care too much about other people. I'm not too fussed even about having people think well of me or I don't really care. And I found personally in, in, in my own Christian life of, gee whiz, 40-odd years now, nearly 50 years, I, I find myself that I've been through that sort of thing where you get comfortable in your faith, you just get easy, it's nice, I'm at the stage of life where I've got it all sorted together and I've got it all worked out. And unless me personally, unless I actually get a stretch, get a challenge in my faith, I'll actually go to coasting. I won't stay in comfort very long. I just start to coast. And... Um, I think the scriptural injunction is the faith zone. It's to be in a place where you're stretched, where you're challenged in your faith. I read through, you know, the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, which I think is the great, you know, um, picture of the faith of people. And in that chapter, it's the rogues gallery of people in faith. This isn't on the screen either, but but just, you see, by faith... Abraham took his son and was prepared to give that son up. By faith, Moses, you know, walked the people through the Red Sea. By faith, Rahab took a challenge and took a risk and lied to the, to the spies. I mean, lied to the, the army. They took a risk. I mean, I'm not suggesting we do that, by the way, but it was just... I'll go out there and tell a lie, but you know what I'm saying? He, they took risks with their faith. They, they stepped out, not knowing where it was going to lead them. Then the end of chapter 11, you, you read this, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, 
By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. What more can I say? For the time would come, tell me of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became violent, valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. That's all by faith. That's all that zone. That's the challenge, the adventure of faith. None of that happened because people sat there and went, let someone else do it. It's good for them. No, no, by faith, you flourish in that zone. My encouragement to you is to do everything you can to flourish in faith. Know who you are and what you have. To employ those double love um, qualities in your life of loving God above all else and loving one another is the greatest commandment you'll ever obey, ever. And then the adventure of faith. I want to finish with a slide that I love, which means I've probably shown it to you three or four times, but you get it five or six. This is the picture of an African impala. And when you're driving in Africa, going to a theme park, or not theme park, a safari park or something, no theme parks, a safari park. And by the side of the road, you'll see these groups of these little animals. They're about that big, um, African impala. And they run along the road, and all of a sudden, they'll spring. And an African impala that size can spring 10 feet in the air and 30 feet forward with one spring. They're just amazing to watch, and they all follow one another. But you can corral, you can limit an African impala if you build a wall around it or a fence about that big. And you think to yourself, how on earth can you corral an animal that can jump 10 foot in the air and 30 feet forward by just putting a wall that big? But an African impala is a strange animal. It will never leap if it cannot see where it's going to land. If you can just block the line of sight of an African impala, you can corral it, even though it's got the capabilities. It'll never jump if it doesn't see where it's going to land. It can never do that. Sometimes in our faith journey, we need to take that first step. Sometimes we think we, don't, we can't take that first step until we know how it's all going to pan out. How it's all going to finish, how it's all going to sort out, how it's all going to you know, get to the place I wanted to get to. You don't even know that. Sometimes you just need to live life as an adventure and take that next step and see what God does with that and what he does with the next one and what he does with the next one and what he does with the next one. That's how you'll flourish. You will never flourish by having to know it all before. It's an exciting place to be. Can I just encourage you to flourish? and to know who you are in Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know who you are in Jesus, today would be a great day to discover who you can be in Jesus. But also to love. Love's got a bad rap today. You love everything from ice cream to Coke to certain parties and certain political parties, but it's, it's more than that. It's a loving God with all your, everything you've got and loving one another when it hurts, when it's painful.
and it's to take a steps of faith and not resile from that, not recoil from that, but to take steps of faith one after the other and see what God does with that step and the next step. I want to pray for you today as we, as we close and I probably won't get a chance to do this again. So I want to pray that you flourish, that Creekside Community Church flourishes and grows and you know, becomes all God wants it to be. And on that journey, we're, ne- we're never going to perfect that. I know that. But we become everything that God wants us to be in his, in his hands. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you that we can come today and just understand something of what it means to know you and to flourish in our relationship with you, to have our security settled, that we're not fighting for recognition, we're not fighting for approval, we're not fighting for any of that. We have that from you from the day we choose to follow Jesus. And Father, I pray that you help us live that double love life where we love you with all our heart and we build, build rhythms, disciplines into our lives that will help that happen. But as well as that, we build rhythms into our life that help us love one another. Kindness and goodness and forgiveness and all of those things that really matter. And God, I pray that you help us take a life of action. We live a faith that works and that builds and grows and... and uh, makes a difference and takes the first step. We want to see how it's going to pan out in the end, but we'll know you're in the next step. Father, would you help us flourish as followers of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let me just say this. If there are people here this morning who haven't yet come to that place of following Jesus today, there is no better day than today to discover that and to do that. And if you're here this morning, that's the case. I, I want to encourage you as we sing the last song and as we finish the service, just come and sit in one of the front seats and I'll talk with you, Troy will talk to you, someone will talk to you and just help you along the line in that journey. It's a really important thing to, uh, to begin that journey, begin that process. Let's stand together. Shane and the team are going to lead us in a, in a final song.